Hey, hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is former United States Senator and Secretary of Defense Bill Cohen. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to this week's sponsors, The Jordan Harbinger Show and Smith AI in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really makes this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us. Remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, um, we need to talk about abortion again this week. If that draft Alito opinion overturning Roe protections uh, holds, it'll be very costly with a price paid almost exclusively exclusively by poor and working class women. And that's not what the country wants. Therefore, ending this 49-year protection should be politically helpful for Democrats. Even more so when Mitch McConnell says, well, there could be a federal ban, not just the states uh, that ban abortion. And others talk about banning birth uh, control devices, setting up an inspection force to block uh, mail of FDA-approved pills. However, and let me emphasize, however, it will not if some of these pro-choice elements focus on big demonstrations, marches, picketing the homes of Supreme Court justices. They're all permissible. They're also stupid or counterproductive. If they really want to make a difference. They really want to wage this fight and on an equal grounds with the other side that has won so much. Go and, and go down to, to um, Dayton, Ohio, or Erie, Pennsylvania, or Greensboro, North Carolina, where there are big Senate races. North Carolina has a Supreme Court race that will decide the fate of abortion in that state, or go to Michigan. Uh, if you can't go, help those who can go. Uh, the need to mobilize, persuade, and register voters. This is not going to succeed, I think you will agree, James, on the streets. It can in the political arena if they work as hard as the other side. So far, it's a little bit discouraging. Precisely and exactly. And the reason is these are some of the most ineffective, the progressive advocacy groups are the most ineffective people in the entire Washington metropolitan area. And the reason is they never get out. So if it's convenient, if Justice Alito or Senator Collins live, you know, within 10 minutes of northwest Washington, they can inconvenience themselves. But the idea that anybody... And these progressive advocacy groups would go to Greensboro, North Carolina and register voters or go to Dayton, Ohio and, you know, knock on doors or help a campaign. Well, you don't expect me to do that, do you? And while while they're out demonstrating or whatever they're doing in northwest Washington, the pro-life people are organizing, you know, are pushing and running people for the school board and God knows what not. It, this is a staggering defeat. For, for these groups, and the sooner they realize it, the better off they're going to be. But I don't think they'll ever realize it. I, I think their entire life is about staying as close to their cultural comfort zone as they possibly can. That's my view. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, unfortunately. And I think for the politicians out there, this should be about Roe. This should be about banning abortion. And don't get caught up in the question of no limits whatsoever. Somebody wants to have an abortion at 37 weeks, fine. I mean, that test the court had a viability. Any abortion ought to be legal up to viability. And after that, it ought to be legal only under very carefully prescribed prescriptions. But you don't want to get into that debate. This is about don't let the other side dominate you in that. Yeah. This is a debate where you have, a, you have the high ground, you have the popular ground, and keep it on that. Some of them already aren't doing that very well, James. 
Well, now, yeah, I think there is one place you can expand, and that is the right of privacy, which people assume that we have in this country, which is not an enumerated right, which is a right that the, the courts have given us as to their reading of the Constitution. Justice Alito famously said there's no enumerated right to have an abortion in the Constitution. Ergo, why can't a state outlaw it? Well, there's no enumerated right to have sex in the Constitution. There's no enumerated right to be married in the Constitution. It's not an enumerated right. So by that reasoning, and they're pretty clear, they're going to outlaw contraception in Mississippi. They have reported a bill out of committee, I think it was 7-2 in Louisiana, that would make getting abortion a homicide. So I'm I'm going to watch a 20-year-old weeping female, you know, going to, well, actually the women's penitentiary is in St. Gabriel where I grew up in Louisiana. That's how crazy this is. Oklahoma, no life of the mother exception. And they're going to do it. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they get the Senate. This shit, they'll do, get rid of the filibuster so fast you, your head will swim to pass a, a national law banning all abortions. And this has happened in spite of the fact that over two to one people in the country don't want it to happen because the organizing groups around the pro-choice movement are pathetic. And, and, and despite what Justice Alito writes in that draft opinion, uh, I think you touched on there aren't, uh, there aren't enumerated rights, and if uh, a gay marriage has to be under threat if this happens. Well, There's sure no question is. about that. I mean, if you can revisit a 49-year What about interracial marriage? Why can't you? Uh, absolutely. Well, I guess that was what? That's 54 years, but I don't think they'll be, uh, be limited maybe, by that. Maybe they can do the Thomas exception. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The carve out. Do a so, carve out. Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, there's so much at stake here. And to sit back it, it, and, and, not, and not fight this is just uh, it, would it, be a tragedy. Uh, Pregnancies very often are complicated. And if you are thinking about getting pregnant, or your spouse, or somebody in your family, or your daughter, get a lawyer. If you live in any of these states, get a lawyer. Because they'll, they'll throw your daughter in jail. I'm, I'm serious. Well, this is it's not a like, no, I okay, know we are. have sex, and then nine months later, we have a baby. It, it, it happens like that sometimes, but... You know, in a lot of instances, there's a lot of tough decisions that, that physicians and, and, you know, females have to make. Well, the other and thing now the legislatures uh, is, look at is that, it. Uh, as the fabled Barney Frank said years ago, that uh, some of these pro-life uh, people are all for life uh, from conception to birth. Uh, and uh, if there are children who are born uh, because their uh, abortion is outlawed, I want to know where they're going to be on a child tax credit. I want to know where they're going to be on child care. I want to know where they're going to be on pre-K. I think we know the answer to that. We've gone through that. They don't care. Until we realize that, they have no fear of any organization or organizing principle that are in favor of having women to have reproductive rights. They just don't care. And, and again, as I said it on television, they, they know that they're going to sit around and talk about veganism and pronouns and how can they protect their turf in, in Washington. They're not going to go to the Mississippi Delta and register voters. They're not going to go, you know, 
to Arizona, and you think I'm going out there and it's some heat the campaign? You must be crazy. <laughs> I got, I got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the vineyard. <laughs> so maybe they can uh, have James, a meeting at the vineyard. <laughs> um, some politics this week. A couple primaries, not the biggest ones, Nebraska and West Virginia. Uh, the focus, as always, in the Republican primaries is on Trump. He had a split decision. Uh, the guy he was supporting for governor of Nebraska, he is a bull semen baron and a and a serial uh, molester of women, according to accusations. He lost, so he couldn't deliver it for the bull semen guy, but he won a big congressional contest in uh, between two Republicans in West Virginia, one of whom, the winner he was supporting, the other of whom was supported by the governor and Joe Manchin. So, uh, you know, he's still a force. You know, the, the one race, you know, that I think is significant and it says something, but we don't hear a lot about it because it doesn't say what a lot of people want to hear. A lot of people have covered this. And that is the, 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 the Cleveland Democratic primary where Nina Turner, again, a, a firebrand progressive of the first order, co-chairman of Bernie Sanders' campaign, uh, Chantrell Brown beat her by six points the last time they ran. This time, she beat about 30, right? More, actually, I think, it maybe, if anything, a little more than It was 30. actually 40. Yes. Been 40 so that, that gives you some, a real-time example of how the progressive left stands in a Democratic Party. She got slaughtered, all right? And it was, it, 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 it was a big, it was a rematch. And, of course, Nina Turner... On election night, says this, this encourages me to run for president. So you got thirty-two percent in Cleveland, <laughs> and you're going to run for president. I mean, it, 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 no, you can't say anything. But when are these people going to get the clue that no one likes them? I don't know. They, 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 I tell you what, they're suckers for pain. You can say delusional. Uh, I'm telling you, you're absolutely man. right. Uh, okay, you know we'll be back next week, and that's after the Pennsylvania. Primary. That is a big one. So we'll watch that. Oh, man, that could be a hang on, dude. I have no idea what's happening. I talked to people a week ago, mainly about the Democrats, and they said the Republican contest, they were talking about Dr. Oz and David McCormick, his hedge fund guy turned Trumpite. And suddenly this black right wing Trump supporting woman has come out of nowhere and uh, she's a threat. So it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, she, uh, she's Trumpier than Trump. This may be the Kentucky Derby of politics this year, be. James. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Striking me. I mean, I, I was in Las Vegas at a race. That was incredible. Like that, that guy, yeah. Sonny Leon, he was one of the great – he rode a hell of a race. <laughs> he was a hell of a jockey, and that, that pony shouldn't have gotten away of that horse. So anyway. Right. All right. Uh, next week, tune in. We'll be doing Pennsylvania. For sure. James, you know, one of the foremost experts on national security and politics is Bill Cohen, uh, former defense secretary, 24 years in Congress, three-term Republican senator from the state of Maine. Uh, Mr. Secretary, it is so good to have you with us today. Let's let's start with Ukraine, because there certainly are mixed signals. Putin's May 9th speech was less aggressive than some thought, though he spun out a lot of lies. Uh, but the Russians are gaining territory, and the Donbass and and uh, moving west, what's your current assessment? 
Well, in the long term, I think that the uh, the weight uh, will uh, will favor the uh, the Russians here. Uh, it's not that they are confident, but they've um, they've added to their lack of confidence by having just the sheer numbers of, uh, of uh, soldiers and weaponry they have access to. So I'd say, in terms of the uh, the immediate term, uh, we're likely to see more gains uh, by the Russians. The uh, the Ukrainians are fighting back for every inch that they can. Their problem is at this particular point the, the logistics supply line. So I would say in the short term, uh, the Russians will continue to move forward slowly but surely. And then the, uh, the Ukrainians are going to have to, at that point, uh, fight for every inch they can get back. So I'd say the, the odds of favoring the Russians at this point. Whether or not that will continue remains to be seen. I think the Ukrainians are obviously getting better equipment. I don't know if it's getting there in time for them uh, right now. Well, I was going to say, what can the what what can NATO and and the U.S. do to expedite to help more to try to stem this this slow tide? Well, I, I don't think that there is much we can do uh, in the uh, the short term. Uh, we uh, those supply lines are, are being the rail lines are being hit. And that means uh, that the Ukrainians are going to have to find uh, other routes uh, that they're going to have to work around uh, and uh, go uh, uh, off the road, et cetera. You know, some of that equipment can be moved in by helicopter, but the, uh, the danger there is that the helicopters can uh, be seen and attacked. Uh, they could move at nighttime. But that presents its own logistical problems. So I, I think uh, it's going to be uh, you know, time uh, to get it all there. And I don't know uh, in terms of how much territory the Russians uh, can gain. I would have, I would think that uh, what Putin would do in the uh, the near future would be to say, I have quote denazified uh, Ukraine. Tell that lie over and over again. Uh, I have uh, uh, taken Mariupol. Uh, I am uh, taking control of the Donbass. And so I'm declaring victory. And now I'm calling for a ceasefire. Uh, at that point, if he were to do that, it presents a real challenge to President Zelensky. At that point, Zelensky has to say, no, no, uh, no ceasefire. You took my home, my territory, and I'm fighting back. So then that presents a political problem uh, for Zelensky saying, wait a minute, uh, Putin has called for a ceasefire. You want to continue the fighting. Perhaps we ought to help negotiate a deal here uh, so that more people don't die, more Ukrainians don't die, uh, and that we can ease up on these sanctions. I don't know that the Europeans or the United States would agree to that, but that would be a move that uh, Putin could do and put more pressure on on the West and on Zelensky. A lot harder for Zelensky to accept that, isn't it, uh, because of the Russian brutality? I mean, that may have, part of that may have been easier a month or so ago. Right. No, it'd absolutely be very hard for him to accept. And the real issue is how much staying power does the West have? Um, right now, we're seeing uh, the Biden administration being hammered by inflation. Gas prices on the West Coast, at least for regular, are up $6 or more. Uh, inflation is still at uh, eight plus percent. Uh, and uh, as we're moving into the summer months of travel, all of these issues will come to the fore. And again, uh, uh, 
Putin can say, hey, I've done what I wanted to do, and now uh, let's talk about a ceasefire. I, I think that's almost impossible for Zelensky, but if you're playing the mind game, uh, Putin is saying, I've got the territory I want for now. Uh, I can declare victory and still continue uh, uh, at any time I want to resume the fighting. Uh, your call, uh, President Zelensky. James. So, so Mr. Secretary, there's a lot of activity on, in the Formosan Strait right now. Did, did, were, are you concerned that, that the Chinese might try to pull the, the same thing in, in Taiwan that the Russians pulled in Ukraine? I think that's unlikely. Uh, I think what they are probably more surprised about is to see the solidarity that uh, the Europeans and NATO countries uh, have uh, been able to marshal on very short uh, time frame. Uh, they have been, I mean, they have been attempting and their desire is to separate the Europeans from uh, the United States. So to see the NATO countries come together in this fashion to oppose uh, Putin, for them to take this step that would be seen as being comparable to what Putin has done, I think would cause them some pause here. I mean, you even have Singapore joining with the West in the condemnation of what Putin is doing. Singapore is part of uh, the whole Indo-Pacific, um, uh, uh, Indochina Pacific. So it's possible they could do it. I think they... Um, I think they'd be reluctant at this point. I think they want to see how this is all going to play out. Uh, secondly, um, there's always the chance that the United States and the West could seek to impose sanctions against China. I don't think they want that at this point. Their economy is not doing well. From all that I've uh, been able to gather in terms of information, their um, growth rate is down around 4%, 4.4%, which sounds good to us. But in terms of a country who has until recently had 8%, then 6%, 5%, now 4%, plus COVID, I think that uh, that would be a challenge for them to see the kind of reaction it would produce on the part of the rest of the world. Anything is possible. I just think it's rather unlikely now, even though they're inclined to show their strength by have flyovers over Taiwan, keep them on the edge. Uh, I think it would probably be a miscalculation if they were to go forward. But it's anybody's guess, uh, James, at this point. So the, the, the CEO of Volkswagen comes anywhere that they should have a negotiated settlement, which is, a, you know, do you, th do you worry there's going to be a crack in the resolve in Western Europe uh, and we prematurely drink, bring, bring this to an end? Well, I, I think, as you and Al have pointed out right now, uh, the, the wounds are so raw and so ugly from what uh, they have done in the way of war crimes. I think it would be very difficult to have a negotiated settlement at this point. I think the West would say we're going to give Zelensky an opportunity to claw back that territory. We're hoping that weaponry can get through, that we can cause more casualties on the part of the, uh, the Russians, that we can get more really combat equipment in there. Um, but to um, to try to negotiate at this point and uh, put pressure on Zelensky, I think would be very hard. I don't think the West would be eager to do that. But as you move into the summer months, travel months, and then start to get into the, uh, into the autumn, we've got elections coming up. The question is, how firm would the U.S. be? We've got people in the United States Congress who are pro-Putin. 
Uh, you've got media in this country who are pro-Putin. And so uh, how would that play going into our own elections uh, in November? Hard to predict at this point. So far, the Republicans held have held together with the Democrats. Whether or not that will be a split in the fall, given again, inflation is likely to remain high. Oil prices are unlikely to come down in the near term. Uh, no matter what uh, the, um, uh, the West is able to do, I don't think the Europeans are going to be able to cut back dramatically, uh, certainly before the end of the year. Um, so at this particular point, uh, again, Putin can say, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And then if I call for a ceasefire, it's up to you to see whether or not uh, you're ready for it. I don't think we would, but I think this is part of the game he can play. Thank you, sir. Albert. Um, sen uh, senator, I started to say senator. You're still a senator, so I can say senator or, or, uh, or Mr. Secretary. Um, there have been some remarkable revelations about the former President Donald Trump uh, lately. Mark Esper, who was his defense secretary, and I, we all thought a Trump loyalist, he was, uh, said that he, he at one point suggested let's fire, fire missiles at Mexico. Uh, yep. He himself said, you know, maybe we ought to go and get a warplane and, and put Chinese emblems on it and bomb Russia. They'll think the Chinese did it. Uh, he wanted a court-martial um, uh, some great American uh, generals and, and admirals, uh, William uh, uh, McRaven and Stanley McChrystal. How, how dangerous, how much worse would it be if Trump came back, do you think? I think at that particular point, uh, we would see the demise of the rule of law uh, in its totality. Uh, we, at least most of us who watched Trump during the, uh, the primary campaign, some of the things he was saying at that particular point, you remember he was asking his rallies, which looked unlike any rallies I've seen in my recent years in politics, but nonetheless, take those protesters, body slam them uh, if you can. That's what we used to do or I'd recommend doing. By the way, if you get sued, I'll pay your legal bills. Or if you uh, arrest people, make sure the police bang their heads on the uh, on the car at the rear of the car and their way into the back seat. Those kinds of things were said at that time. So it was not surprising to me once he got into office that he would take that kind of aggression and try to use it against anyone who was at all critical. And as I pointed out recently, when they had the Black Lives Matter um, uh, demonstrations and resistance uh, to, uh, uh, to the police up in, uh, uh, in the state of Washington, what happened? He deployed some of our federal agents in unmarked uniforms, almost like ninja suits, and he was uh, allowing them to fire rubber bullets into the protesters. One protester got hit in the head. Uh, by one of the uh, sharpshooters or snipers. Uh, and then he were, uh, they were detaining and arresting people, throwing into unmarked vehicles and taking them to the police stations without charging them. That pretty much is a police state action that he was taking at that time. So then you get to uh, Trafalgar Square and you see the generally peaceful protesting, protesting. And he marches out with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense uh, and uh, and really uses force against those protesters. I think if he were to get back into office, we would see all limitations um, released and removed. Uh, he wouldn't have to account to anyone. He's not running, can't run again. 
uh, he would put in place the people who uh, would, I think, yield to him. They wouldn't take that position unless they were his supporters, and he wouldn't put them on unless they were dedicated fealty, kissed the ring, uh, etc., and praised uh, his genius status. Uh, so I think that we as a country would be in, uh, in jeopardy of saying that we're a democracy that believes in the rule of law. So why have so few members of your party, your former party at least, the Republicans, been willing to stand up and say this is a existential threat? I think that they uh, prefer power over the rule of law. I think they do not respect the institutions in which they serve. I think that they, they are abdicating their responsibility of their oath of office uh, to serve the Constitution and not an individual. Trump has made no, no uh, mistake about what he wants. Uh, he wants my generals, my judges, my justices, my, uh, my secretary of state, my, uh, my FBI, etc. So we know what he wants, and I think the people who agree to serve him uh, would uh, be those who are likely to carry out his orders. Fortunately, uh, Mark Esper, uh, at, the, uh, at that moment when uh, he received not an order, he said he didn't get an order, but he was trying to preclude receiving an order, but said, I will not under any circumstances at this moment in time support uh, invoking the Insurrection Act. And once he said that, he knew that uh, he would be fired, uh, and he was, uh, because there was talk, as you remember, that uh, Lieutenant General Flynn uh, was in the White House talking about the need for the Insurrection Act. And we've seen from the January 6th committee, they have been peeling back the lies and deceptions uh, of um, the Republican Party uh, and uh, President Trump supporters. So um, Mark Esper did uh, the right thing in, um, in um, saying I wouldn't support any kind of order like that. And remember that Jim Mattis, the uh, former Secretary of Defense, uh, Marines, and James, you know this, Marines don't quit. Jim Mattis is a warrior. <laughs> he doesn't quit, but he did quit President Trump because he said he could no longer support the president who had a worldview very different from his. That's pretty unusual. I would say the same thing for General Kelly, uh, another four-star Marine, uh, to say we really can't serve this man. So uh, I, I think we were in a we were saved um, by a threadbare here uh, here uh, on January sixth, and I think to the extent that my party doesn't believe in the need to call out and say, uh, President Trump, former President Trump, under no circumstances could we support you, no matter uh, what your popularity is. It would be a threat to the rule of law. I think Mark Esper said it uh, most recently on one of his television interviews. I think every Republican who believes in the rule of law has to say the same thing. Wow. Well, I, uh, I just want to kick this one question before I leave for the secretary, please. The, uh, if you follow in this Bruhai and Marine Corps by changing the mission and the fact that three retired generals write an op-ed seems to me to be pretty extraordinary. Uh, it is. Uh, now, this is a debate that ought to be had within the uh, department. Uh, this is not something to be played out and uh, saying which generals are on which side of this. 
what right. the role of the Marine Corps is going to be going forward into a new world and whether or not that mission should change from what it has been uh, to one uh, that resembles more uh, along the lines of an army or some other combination. You know, I would have that debate within the Pentagon to say we need to clarify what our roles and missions are. And if, uh, if circumstances dictate that we need to change, okay, fair debate. I don't think it ought to be playing out in public, and I don't think that uh, this is something that is helpful. All right. Thank you, Mr. Becker. How are you? Always Bill, good to be with you. Bill Cohen, you are a, yes, you are a, great, you are a, a great guest, as always. This is, you're, you're a repeat offender. Uh, you've been back <laughs> yeah. you know, five or six times, and uh, we enjoy it every time. So we're going to have you back again. Awful good to see you. Say hi I'll to your wife. I, I'll see you soon, Al. And James, I What's always up, enjoy you wife, seeing you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Thank you sir. Hey, James, our first question uh, from a lot of good ones is from Gary in Gold, Gold Country, Placerville, California. Man, I don't know where that is, but he can let us know. That's somewhere says, in Sacramento, but I don't know. Well, it sounds like that. doesn't sound like it's on the coast. He says, why is Biden holding on getting rid of the filibuster? He's giving it all. It's not really getting anywhere. The way this Republican Party is becoming so radicalized, isn't it time to pull all the stops and start biting, kicking, scratching, punching? Well, Biden can't get rid of the filibuster. <laughs> yeah. Right? He would like to. But as long as Manson and Cinema don't want to get rid of it, you can't get rid of it. And that's a consequence of having a 50-50 Senate. If, if we got out of Washington, campaigned, and, you know, we got a fairly favorable Senate map this year. You're not going to have a very good one in 2024. Uh, we, we got to hold a Senate or maybe add a couple of seats, and it's going to be extremely difficult. But Biden, to get mad at Biden for the filibuster, but he would love to have gotten rid of it. Right. I mean, yeah, just— you're, you, you gotta add. You gotta add to that Senate this year. You gotta. You gotta pick up a net of two or three seats. Yes. that's a challenge. But you gotta do that. Our right. next question is from Blair in Marstown, New Jersey, formerly right. a Paoli, where he says Hoops Hunt, which was the nickname I had, was a well-known name in his prime. Blair, I, I, I ain't in my prime anymore. I don't have a nickname anymore. Blair says uh, is one of those, hopefully not elite, who have been to more than my share of highbrow events where we think we know it all and cannot fathom why people don't think like we do with good intentions. But if I am of a certain age and past my canvassing prime, you too, Blair, past your prime, where should I be directing my focus and dollars? You know, we talked about that last week, James, and in that case, he can find certain candidates that you know you want to give to. I mean, Blair, if you're in Morristown, New Jersey, right next door in Pennsylvania, there's, there's a couple of big congressional races and Senate races. Uh, you may have a congressional race there. And state parties uh, in Michigan and North Carolina uh, and in other places. You know, yeah, Blair, I've been there uh, uh, many times, taking a train into to the city from there. So it's beautiful work. Boris County, New Jersey is gorgeous. People don't realize what a beautiful state New Jersey is, and I tell them that. And, oh, well, what do you mean? I went from the Newark Airport to that's not yeah, that's not what it is. I, what I recommend is adopt a, a couple of races, and it, it can be something unconventional. Uh, uh, Mallory 
Murrow was on the show talking about uh, some of these critical state Senate races in Michigan or uh, the Secretary of State race somewhere. And when you adopt a race, you can follow it. You, if you have a little money, you, you can target it to right where you think it'll be more effective. You can bookmark the, the local news and, and read about it every day. And, you know, you can call the campaign and say, can you give me a call list of, you know, GLTV calls I can make. There's actually a lot you can do. And I always recommend that people do their own research and maybe adopt a campaign that people wouldn't ordinarily think of. And, you know, I would be way more in, into the Secretary of State in Michigan race than I would be somebody raising $7 million to beat Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is not going to happen. Yeah. So that that's what I would say to any of our, our listeners. If you retired or you have extra time and you're interested in politics, adopt a race and then follow it. An attorney general's race and state Anything. Supreme state Court Supreme races. Court. Those are a, big. A, a critical state you. legislative seat yep. can be yep. huge. And, totally. and trust me, the pro-life people are out there organizing like crazy. Richard in Jersey, Channel Islands, France. Oh, wow. I love to hear from our French fans. Jersey Channel. It, I guess in the Channel Islands? Yeah. That's one of, yeah, okay. I didn't should, know Biden, should Biden push Kamala Harris as the point person on the rejection of Roe and Casey? So the administration is represented by a female voice. Well, I think she certainly ought to have a big voice in this, but there are going to be a number of voices. This is not one where there's going to be a national megaphone that's going to determine everything. I think Biden and Harris ought to speak out on it, as will others. And the battles are going to be fought, as we said earlier, in Pennsylvania and Michigan and North Carolina and Georgia and Ohio. That's where you fight these battles. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think to the extent that messaging about the right to privacy and, you, you know, Roe and the, the, the disruptions in lives is, can be, be effective. And, I mean, certainly the vice president can, can make those points. But, you know, there's other thing. Males can make the point, too. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, but, uh, yes. And, and, she, yeah. and, and Harris, you know, maybe she can find a footing on this issue. Yeah, exactly. Jane, finally, Shane in Minneapolis, Minnesota, says, I'm going to follow up an excellent analogy from this week's show and ask, if the Democrats' farm team is strong and the bench is deep, if the class of 2018 is full of all-stars, what are the Democrats missing? A coach, a team manager, what? It's very good because the class of 18 did have a bunch of all-stars, and, you know, and a, you know some of them uh, are going to be running and you're going to be hearing more and more from them. But the, the problem is with the party needs, you know, our president is 78, our speaker is 80, our Schumer's in his 70s. Uh, I, I mean, we, we, we need to bring up and nurture and mentor a whole new generation of Democratic leadership, and I think the country would be ready for it. And I know some of these younger people, assuming they don't get crushed in the 2022 election, are, are really up to the job to go do great things and be great people. I agree with you totally with one caveat. If the Democrats should barely cling on to the House, go for two more, Nancy. Uh, you're the yeah, only that, person that, that can that, keep that, it together. That might be, but if they should. But, yeah, but that doesn't detract from your point. Let some no, of those impressive and, young and, You know, the grave, we, we, we just, just got to get through something else. I'm, I mean, Hakeem, he's just got to be up to the job if he gets it. And I, most people think he is. Yeah. But it, it, it's... It, you, you just the the churn of life is just got got to take place, right? 
All right, James, now for the outrage of the week. You know, the radical right with their hate and violence poses a far greater danger to America than the fringe left. But the woke left can drive you crazy. At Yale Law School recently, a right-wing speaker who opposes abortion, gay marriage, and transgender women participating in sports was shouted down by Yale Law students at a forum. Now, I think she's terribly wrong, this speaker, on all fronts. Gay marriage is now accepted by most Americans. When two people love each other, marriage is a stabilizing force. Abortion is not easy, but it's better left to a woman and her doctor. And as for transgenders, what do they wish them? What sport do they wish them to, to participate in? But, you know, probably a third to 40% of Americans disagree with me on that. That's their voice is one that should be heard by Yale Law students respectfully and then refuted forcefully. There are limits to free speech. A few, not many, fire in a crowded theater. But unlike and unlike the pervasive hate groups, the woke left is pretty much limited to elite universities and some coastal and media venues. But those woke Yaleys enable critics on the other side to distract from their own problems and point to silly stuff like shouting down uh, a speaker at the Yale Law School. Grow up. You're supposed to be the future of the law profession in America. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll amplify it because two like Bernie Sanders is more our generation. He's actually doesn't believe in shutting speech down. That that's an yeah. old you know, old thing, if you were a liberal, everybody had to have their say. Mm-hmm. And now it's become, you know, it, it it's only the oppressed have a right to speak out. Oppressors are not uh, are not allowed. I don't know what it what that means. And I don't know, you know, universities of all places should be in a general idea. You have tenure, you have things that, that they that you can you you should be comfortable with people saying uncomfortable things. And it, it it's become it's it's an annoyance in many times more than its actual problem, but but it but it is an annoyance and I I, I just don't get why you would shut any any view down. I, I I will, I've always told my students I would bring David Duke if I wouldn't think the university would crap a pineapple. Because when you hear him, he's, he, hear him, he's so goddamn stupid uh, that you want to have him. Right, and, and if my students are not, if, if, if you persuade about David Duke, then I'm a poor teacher. But I'm, not, I'm not keeping anything away from you. But I, I agree, and, and Yale is, a, you know, obviously a, you know, uber top tier place, and the fact that they engage in this kind of behavior, you'd think they'd know better. Yeah, you do. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, The Jordan Harbinger Show and Smith AI in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.